Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Outlook. I'm Lee Canty and for this episode I'm joined by comedian Erin Jay. Now you may remember him from an earlier episode, episode 14, where I had the Glass Eye Trio together on the podcast talking in a sort of camaraderie, banterful way, plug in their comedy club and just them as people. But you know, since then, I've really wanted to get them all on the podcast individually. And Aaron's a fantastic comedian on his own. And yes, yeah, so this episode's all about him. I'm going to play you a short clip of Aaron on the episode just now. Brought the punters in, didn't it? Built so, it up. He didn't. It was. It was a. You know, it's quite quiet. I think. <laughs> but he. Um, Sandbag, me, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I was nice to you earlier. Now I'm telling the truth. Okay? <laughs> Um, he said here yeah, I've brought some pyrotechnics and he really built it up to the audience and then the joke was it was a tea candle right and he lit it up and you know held it up in the air everyone's like ah oh, that guy you've tricked us you know we feel like fools now we all have a laugh and move on with the evening but what he um, what he failed to do was purchase a working lighter to light the tea candle so it took about what six seven attempts for a good That's spread generous. over a good couple of minutes of him going I've nearly lit it guys <laughs> and then I had to borrow a lighter from the audience yes you did yeah so that was Aaron Jay in action with Danny Mark and Louis Green in episode 14 and they just wanted to leave him with a few words of encouragement for his episode so here they are now any words for Aaron's episode lovely hair and a lovely beard thank you ever so much for that day you called me that's that's my message to him and keep smashing because you are the bollocks so some wise words there from danny and louis but for now please welcome to the show on his own in his own words the wonderful the hilarious the comedian erin jay um so erin you started like way back at the end of school a bit like myself yeah yeah i started my first year of sixth form was when I had my first gig. I did a few gigs sporadically for the next couple of years and then stopped, just stopped for about three or four years and started back up again about two and a half years ago, I'd say. Okay. Okay. And so, and because on, on the last podcast, when, when way back in like 2000, uh, 2014, 2019, um, <laughs> I'm not releasing this <laughs> in like 2022, but like episode 14, you were. Um, you're doing really well at that time. How yeah. things have gone since then? It's been steady, I'd say. I haven't gigged as much as I possibly should have. Um, but some of the gigs I have been doing have been at a level that I'm happy with. So yeah. it's all I can really do is just try and get the gigs that I want to get onto. And that's that's enough for me, just getting on a higher standard of gig. So you ha- you're happy with that? You're not You're not pushing it as hard as you were before, are you? I wouldn't say I'm not pushing it as hard. I just I'm very realistic with where I am and what the next step is. And I think the next step is to impress at the next level of of gig. You know, it's all well and good doing very well at, a, at an open mic night or a, or a semi pro night, but the progression comes from doing these these pro gigs and trying to get a foot in the door, and that's pretty much all I want to do. Mm. Okay, uh, so at sixteen, when you first started, just you're dabbling in in comedy. Uh, what sort of material were you doing at the time? Because I, I I look back when I was doing it at sixteen, and and it's just I can't I can't even transfer any of that to what I do now. There was some there was some good bits in there from what I remember. I mean, I don't use any of it now, but 
I think when I first started, I did a course that was half script writing and half stand up. Um, so I had a basic knowledge of, of pull back and reveal and just having that set up punchline. But I think because I watched a lot of stand up and because I was so naive, a lot of the premises were taken elsewhere and just sort of changed to suit my own needs. There was no life experience in there. There was nothing that was groundbreaking. It was just joke, 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 joke. And it wasn't particularly individual to me, which I think is where I ended up running out of steam and getting a bit bored because there was nothing nothing that was relatable to me and nothing that was relatable to the audience. It just sort of fizzled out once it got to a certain point. Yeah, I think that's fair because like watching you now when you when you perform, there's a real element of you in there. And I think that's I think that's quite unique to you where without without your personality, without your sort of persona, the way you present yourself on stage, I don't think there's much else to what you do like you've got great great jokes and you write good jokes but I I, I can't imagine you doing one-liners I really can't I mean I do like doing one-liners and I like to to stick a few in sets every so often but where I'm at at the moment I'm trying to get it all to fit to fit a theme and if I can get a one-liner that fits within a set that's perfect but I'm not I'm not writing for the sake of writing. It's it's a lot more purposeful now, which I think from the last time we spoke, I think that's a big difference in what I'm doing at the moment. It's all it's all got a purpose. It's all being geared up towards a group of jokes or a set or towards a show. It's 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 got something where I want it to end up. Yeah. And you recently you guys recently did like a like you did your own preview, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Me and Danny did a preview that Louis hosted and and kept together wonderfully. Uh, but yeah, I mean that isn't that again. That isn't me wanting to do a show, take it to Edinburgh, and and scoop up a load of recognition. The reason I'm doing a show and writing a show is because I feel the next step is to have a bulletproof twenty minute that I could take to a pro club night. And in my head, if I'm able to tell jokes consistently with consistent laughs for 40 minutes, I then have a really good standpoint to to trim that down, trim the fat and make that a stronger 20 minutes than than I had before. And that's why I push myself to, to write towards the show, because a lot of the stuff that I had in my sets before necessarily didn't really go anywhere they were funny but they didn't I probably didn't delve as deep into them as I should have done and because the show forced me to write because I had to speak for 40 to 45 minutes I wrote a lot of new material in the beginning and then once I realized that it still wasn't enough it was then that I started to bulk up what I already had and it made my 10 a lot stronger, it made my 15 a lot stronger, it made my 20 a lot stronger. And that's the, the only reason I'm, I'm doing the show, just for my own personal benefit from it. Okay, so, but with like, I mean, where was from like your 10, 20 minutes to 10, 15, and even your 20 minute sets, they always seem quite tight and the jokes or the concepts always seem quite close together. How did you find like expanding that to 40 minutes? Have you managed to cut that down now or? Uh, it, Expanding the 20 to 40 was 
easier than I thought it would be. It was still really hard, but because I've always based my sets around five or six themes, it was nice to have a starting point where I could just keep branching off. Um, and it wasn't me trying to do a an artsy Edinburgh show where it's it's a theme and it's going to make people laugh and cry and weep and all, all that stuff. It was basically me. I've got a club, 15, 20 at a push. Let's, let's just extend that and see how I go. It that And because I had that starting point, it was really... It was a great sort of scaffold to to build on. So you so your six concepts that you regularly do in like fifteen or twenty minute sets. Mm-hmm. Did you did you break those down and separately and just and like like you know like almost like a spider diagram and just come off and like how many and what else can I ring this out of? Yeah, yes, yeah, so yeah. Basically, um, I allow I've been allowing myself to riff a lot when I gig as well. Um, which has done me the world of good because it's allowed me to be a bit more confident going into the crowd, but it's also led to some quite clever punchlines that I probably wouldn't have thought about if I was sat on my own writing because I was there and I was doing it. I was able to sort of realise that, oh, that's a punchline there, and things got added to my set through that as well. Yeah. Okay, and, and did that take you a long time? Because uh, I, I, I find those things like... Sometimes just one joke takes me an hour just to get just to get something funny out of it. It took me, I'd say, focusing on on writing it. I'd say it took me a couple of months just to to get it all together. Um, the next step for it is to actually memorise it and remember it and make sure that I'm not going up with cues and things like that for for that amount of time. I'm quite interested because if your if your sets are often you know, tied together, and and I say that at twenty, and then you expand it to forty. How do you go about like practicing that? Um, you know, if, like in preparation for that gig. Yeah. How do how do you test all that out? Because it's sort of you have to test it out in patches, I guess. Yeah, I chunked it and did a lot of new material stuff, new material nights, and just went through the individual concepts one by one, and it was good because I was able to see what jokes worked within that chunk. Um, and then build on that so rather than have the whole show and try and improve the whole thing by chunking it down I was able to just sort of build on the the individual parts as and when I was doing new material nights and yeah that was the way I did it. it it helped me quite a lot in terms of again getting jokes a little bit crisper and introducing new concepts to something that I was already talking about mm. Interesting. Uh, okay, so I want to learn a bit more about like you as like just as, as a person as a yeah. comedian. Like I always find it interesting like what possesses people to go on stage. Like at sixteen, doing it at sixteen, I imagine a lot of it was to sort of show off to your friends or just to just to be funny. I don't know. Not even that. It was I always wanted when I left school. I wanted to be a writer of some description, whether it was a screenwriter or a playwright or, or whatever that's what I wanted to do so I looked for a lot of things locally that could help me gain experience in that particular field and what I found was a workshop in Colchester that was comedy sketch writing Um, but it was it was half and half so it was comedy sketch writing and stand-up so I did the sketch writing and I did the stand-up and did 
you had to perform at the end of the at the end of the day a couple of minutes whatever you'd written on that day um and the stuff that I'd written on the day and performed got quite a big reaction and I got a gig off the back of it it was never never something I thought about it was never anything that I thought I want to be a comedian it was oh cool I've, I'll try that that's that's nice and it wasn't didn't share I didn't share it with anyone up until a couple of months in uh, my mum and dad didn't come and see me until they had to and that was because they t- had to take me to a gig in Kingston um so I was I was pretty pretty reserved about it and I'm still quite reserved about it now I talk about it on social media a lot um which then leads to people talking to me and sort of asking about how it's going but a lot of the time when I talk about doing stand-up to to people that aren't comedians I do feel uncomfortable sometimes because it's I'm, I'm not doing it to show off I'm not doing it to to be the the confident outgoing guy in the room it's just something that I've found I'm relatively good at and I enjoy doing it it's not it's not for social gain or or, or anything like that I'm not what I am on stage I'm I'm not like that off it unless I'm very close to the people that I'm that I'm talking to and, and friends with that's interesting so it's a quite a, a very personal thing for you like comedy it is it is um which going back to the whole writing thing I've tried a lot recently to write things that are particularly personal to me and uh, quite in some cases hard hitting which I've never really done what what I used to do was I tell stories about situations that I was in and I'd either exaggerate them to the point of ridiculousness or I'd take the initial premise and then make a story up based on that original premise and that's the way I've always done it it's the way I've been comfortable with because even though part of the situation is true it's not it's not me do you know what I mean Um, but what I then have tried to do recently and I think it has led to some successful jokes but I think it's led to more unsuccessful jokes is I've told stories and opinions and thought processes that are at face value and I think the reason they haven't particularly gone over as well as I thought they would is because I'm not necessarily comfortable saying those things to an audience and I work myself up when telling those jokes and a lot of the time I'll say to I tend to travel with Louie and Danny to, to a lot of the gigs I'll say to them that I'm going to do a gig and I won't do it because I'll talk myself out of doing it because I don't want to share that at that point. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And if I do, and when I have shared them, some of them have gone over really well and they've worked into my sets and the more I tell them, the more comfortable I get with them. But the ones that perhaps maybe got more sympathy than laughter or maybe got more of a sad reaction than a happy reaction rather than work at them and try and make them funny I've just thought um, I'll leave that I think that's possibly a step too far but it's something I've got to get used to doing yeah I I mean one of the things that I think I notice in your persona is that you come across slightly and it's a I'm sure it's on purpose 
slightly vulnerable in a sense. There's a vulnerability to what you do and the way you present yourself on stage because mm-hmm. you're quite, um, at least when I've seen you, quite low energy. Yeah. And you, you draw people in and you draw that silence and, and then you hit them hard. But if if that's too close to something personal and you're quite animated on stage in terms of if something hurts or something, if you feel something. Yeah. It, there's a very fine line between you looking very comfortable on stage and being confident even within your your um, low energy mm. um, and vulnerability, and actually just thinking, oh Jesus, this guy actually really feels this. Yeah, yeah, and and it's been picked up on a few times. I've always, as you say, I'm not particularly high energy. I can be, like if I'm emceeing and it's it's a low room, or I'm opening and it's a low energy room. I can I can do it. I can play the game and get everyone up. But what I've always tried to focus on, and it's what I do outside of comedy as well, is my use of voice is one of the most important things, I think. Because as you say, it can draw people in. And you don't necessarily have to be the shouty, brash comedian to get everyone's attention. And I've really focused on that use of voice to draw people in. And I think the drawback then, when you talk about things that can be quite emotional, is that when you rely so heavily on your voice and your tone and 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 the cadence of it all it can come the emotion can come across unintentionally because if you're saying something that either hurts you or means a lot to you it's very obvious to someone that is listening to you when there are no other distractions if i was dancing around and all that sort of stuff and saying things that but perhaps a juxtaposition to the to the persona, then maybe I'd get away with it. But because I am quite flat and I do try to draw people in, there's no hiding place there. And I think that's where I've fallen short sometimes with some of the things. Yeah, I think I think the other thing is also because people people don't realise how much it can take to write material and to to, to word something right and remember the way it's worded to hit the punchline at the right time. Um the other thing is that if it doesn't work, then if you're playing with something so personal and mm-hmm. something that's really affected you and it doesn't work, you don't get the laughs, you don't even get anything out of it. You don't mm. even feel good because you don't even get the laugh from it. So it's quite it's quite a risky game. If if after that, that's going to eat you up. Yeah. As well as causing a trigger. And 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 also, if it doesn't go so well, because we need that for our self-esteem. But there's no catharsis there, is there? If you haven't managed to make something that wasn't necessarily negative before if you've not managed to turn that into something positive you've not had that cathartic feeling that you perhaps intended for when you wrote the joke in the first place and that that can be quite harrowing on a drive home from a from a gig yeah especially when you're showing i mean they're great guys danny and mark but Danny and Mark. Danny and Mark. Danny and Mark. Danny and Mark. Danny and Louis. I prefer that. I prefer that. Mark Green. Yeah, fuck him. You change your name completely, Louis. There you go. Now I've addressed the other one. You've broken the fourth wall. Yes, it. There was no fucking wall. It's like when Kane took off his mask in WWF for the first time and you've just seen his disgusting face. That's what introducing Louis is done. He said not to talk. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about you. You're not allowed to talk as well. Yeah, you're not Jesus. allowed to reply. God, what's going on? And as much as much as Danny and Louis are great to hang out with, I, I find that you know you do 
a lot of driving with other comedians and it can get you other gigs and stuff to to be able to drive and and give people lifts and stuff like that but if you've had a particularly tough night taxi night and they've had a really great night and all they want to do is gloat about about what how great they were and you just really want to sit in your own space Mm. and just just shut off and and just think about what you could have done better um how do you find that How, how do you balance that kind of level of um, self-preservation and also being one of the lads they're pretty good at not rubbing it in each other's faces in terms of if someone hasn't landed we don't batter each other it's, it's never been like that it's never been a ultimately what what we are as glass eye is a group of people that want each other to succeed so there's never that that laddish banter in terms of where we just hammer each other for not doing something well um but at the same time you have to be a little bit unselfish in a sense of just because i've not done very well i can't then be a dick to them two on the drive home because because i'm sad it's it's you need to appreciate what they do too as well as what i do because if i didn't gig with them i probably wouldn't gig and that's that's double edged sword. That's the way it is. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. When when I had you all on together, yeah, for Glass Eye, it was still very much. I mean, obviously, Glass Eye is going strong and it's going really well. You've got some great gigs. You're expanding out. You've got the best gigs in in Suffolk. We um, we hope. Yeah, you're sort of quite flipping about it back then when you're all discussing sort of going in your own and doing all of your gigs independently. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot more than you were. You guys are. You know, you sort of stand alone as comedians, and yeah, exactly yeah. why I wanted to get you on the podcast because I feel like you're all at a place now where, where I mean, you were then, but it was very much plugging glass eye and the, the the group and all that. But now, yeah, how how are you finding that? How are you finding when one sort of progresses slightly more than another, or or does really well or something like that, and then comes back to the group? How how are you managing to keep that sort of camaraderie like together for the whole? It's, it's not an issue, I don't think. If, if we're, we're all very close to each other and ultimately ahead of what these gigs are and, and what we're trying to do with the promotion side of things, we want each other to succeed. And it doesn't matter whether it's me or Louis or Danny that does something exceptional the fact of the matter is I look at them two as as brothers in a way and you want them to to be successful regardless of whether you are or not it's it's that I don't know that sort of I'm trying to think of the word I want to say maternal but that's not the word I mean (laughs) it's that it's like a code like a unconditional yeah it is unconditional where you just sort of you want them to succeed regardless of what you're doing. It's it's almost separate, you know. They're doing their own thing. I'm doing my own thing. It's it's all a journey, isn't it? And and to have them with me for even part of it is is good. And it's the same thing for other acts on the circuit that, that I get on with, you know. I'd never begrudge anyone the success that they've earned because it's hard to go out and do gigs. It's hard to go out and hustle for these spots and travel to these different places and, and, and get the reactions that you're hoping for. So when someone does well, I, I've, I've got no problem with it. It's, it's, it's all, we're all one, I think, in, in this game. 
And if you don't support each other, you you set yourself up for a for a tough ride. And I, I, I see people do that sometimes as well. Like I'm sure you've seen it too when you're gigging. People that are perhaps not as accommodating for the for the other people around them perhaps are in it so obviously for their own gain and I think yeah a lot of people will be negative towards them when they succeed but for people that are always polite always kind always willing to help you out always grateful for when you help them out why would you begrudge them the success that you're aiming for too it's, it's, it's not a competition I don't think no and yeah I think I can't remember who who said it but the, it's always been be your own competition and yeah. only compare yourself to your last gig and, and all that sort of stuff because if you start oh, it was on I think it was on um, RC Industry Simon Kane's podcast he was talking mm-hmm. to I think it was Jeff Whiting one of the earliest episodes he did and he's just saying he sees people trying to outdo other comedians and when you're at a, when you're at a comedy night they say that it's all about all about your one big show, no different to like a, a like a theatre yeah. production. You know, you're all part of that one big two hours of, of comedy. So if you can if you can build the night together, then that's the best the best comedy nights anyway. Yeah, for me, the worst comedy nights are when you have a group of comedians huddled around each other, and they're just bragging. It's like competitive bragging where they're all saying how well they're doing. And I probably come across in that situation. A bit of a bit of a tool because I don't I don't get involved I don't I don't feel it's necessary to say how well I'm doing to someone that ultimately doesn't care it doesn't affect them why can't I just tell Louie and Danny and 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 the guys that that I actually like and get on with some of the cool things I've done why do I need to tell a stranger from <laughs> some weird part of the country that I wouldn't have even been to if I wasn't doing comedy especially about before myself. a gig yeah before like, you go on like let let the comedy speak for itself like, yeah you never know how how your set's going to go really no, yeah that would be just my luck that I've gone on and said something like really good <laughs> and then I've gone on and just been awful but yeah. also you don't know what what's going on with them like you don't know whether they could be a couple of gigs from from stopping altogether they could be really disillusioned with it and them having to hear other comedians talk about how great they are may make them feel rubbish and that may make someone stop and I'd certainly not want to do that. I just think the best comedy nights are when you've got acts on the bill and you're having a laugh with each other and there's no competitiveness. It's it's supportive, it's friendly and it's a laugh because I genuinely do believe we're, we're all in this together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but it is one of. The, I mean, I was in the acting world and all that sort of stuff, yeah. and and so I know how self-centric people can be, and and acting is very much like throw anyone under the bus just so you can get an audition, just purely because the opportunities are few and far between. You get yeah. an audition that that could be another three months before you get another one, and so with the difference of comedy, if you're good, you can you can prove yourself like by doing it. Yeah, and it is, and I do think a lot of progression comes from being good and one thing that I absolutely hate when watching watching people do well will be another act when someone's on stage smashing it and you just get another act go oh they only got that laugh because of this and it's like just they got the laugh that's that's the objective the objective 
is to make people laugh. Whether it's not particularly clever humour or it's overly clever humour or it's visual or it's musical or whatever, if they're making people laugh, that's their job. They're doing their job. That's that's it. There's no debate for me. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I've had... Um I had Matt Price on, and he said pretty much his job is just to be a comedian. Yeah. Hayes people te- calling him like a storytelling comedian because although he does tell great stories, he, he'll go into a room and he'll just change his material if he needs to to suit that room to make sure that the, po- the punters who are paid are the ones who are getting comedy. Yeah. And they're, they're laughing, and it's all about, all about he's just a comedian. He's there to make people laugh regardless mm. of how he does it. Yeah, and the audience don't care what I've done previously or, or what anyone's done. What they care about is, in some cases, they may have had to book a babysitter to, to look after the kids. They've, they've had to dress up. They've had to pay money. They've had to get, in some cases, on weekends, taxis in and out of the of the venue. They don't care about who it who it actually is in front of them. What they care about is the performance that they're going to get. And... Above all, that should be the most important thing, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. So just um, on the back of that, uh, the bit about um, Glass High Comedy, mm-hmm. Jason Stamp, who does Big Deal Comedy, he's got a lot of gigs and a lot of work out of doing Big Deal and emceeing his own nights and booking you know, comedians that are slightly further along the spectrum himself. Yeah. The difficulty you guys have in that situation where you emcee your own gigs or you organise your own gigs is that there's three of you and yeah. you're all white blokes and straight blokes and yeah. in the current climate it's hard to place the three of you on the same bill how do you manage that i would argue that the gender race sexual orientation of an act isn't as important as the style of the comedy that they're doing and i wouldn't say that i'm particularly similar to louis and i wouldn't say that louis particularly similar to danny so what the audience are getting, yes, they're getting on face value three heterosexual white males, but what they're also getting is a high-energy comedian, a storytelling comedian, a low-energy comedian, a joke writer, and they're getting those different elements of comedy that they may not necessarily see in one act. And the variety of the bill... I think depends on the style rather than the other things that that might predispose booking someone. I I'm, I don't believe on I don't believe in having to get a certain act on a bill because of their gender or race or sexual orientation. I believe in booking someone because they are funny. They're good at what they do. And that is regardless of, of of anything. If they're funny, they're funny. And the only time that I am particular about booking a bill is if we have people that are very similar in style because that then shortchanges the audience that are paying to see that gig. Um, if they're seeing the same act three or four times because they're sell- telling the same sort of jokes... What's the point? They they need to see a variety because there's lots of weird and wonderful styles in comedy. It's it it's really nice to showcase as many of them as I can within a bill. So I don't I don't see it as a problem having us all all on a bill, particularly with some of the other acts we book too. It 
I think it goes under the radar. I don't think it's it's an issue. Do you think do you think promoters might have avoided booking the three of you at the same time because of it? Because there are there are people out there that will hit the diversity quota just to hit the numbers or to please an audience. They will and that's 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 their bag and it's entirely up to them. Um I wouldn't say that we don't get booked together because of the fact we are three white heterosexual males I think more realistically we don't get put together because it's hard to find three slots on a bill you know open mics we we get put together quite a bit but we're all moving to the semi-pro pro night open spots middle spots MC slots in some cases there aren't as many spots available, so we're not we're just not going to be put on the same bill together because there aren't spots there. Yeah, great, good answer. Cheers, mate. Okay, so uh, one of the things I've noticed, having known you for just over, I think I have just over a year. Yeah, about that. One, um, is that like like you said, some of your stuff's got a bit darker, and you're speaking a little bit more open about mental health. Yeah, um, and about bipolar and and things you've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about that. Uh, in terms of writing things about mental health, it was mainly a way of me dealing with things that I've never dealt with growing up. Uh, from university, I got very homesick, I would say. I'd say that's that's really what started it off. I didn't like being away from home because I had... At 1718, I lived in a small town in East Anglia, which is Ipswich, which I talk about. Um, I'm very close with my mum. I'm very close with my dad. I'm very close with my brother. You know, I've got nieces and nephews and that, that I care about a great deal. And I also had a really strong friendship group that coincidentally I don't speak to anymore. Not through any fault of anyone, you just grow apart, don't you? But at the time I had that close-knit friendship group that I found a real culture shock moving away from. And I was only in Cambridge, it was only an hour away. But I still felt trapped, I still felt secluded. And I never dealt with it, I never dealt with it. I never sought help, I never spoke about it. I never turned it into art. I was still doing comedy in that first era, so to speak. <laughs> era? Yeah, I don't know what to call it, man. Call eras. I don't know what to call it, but like that first stint of, of doing stand-up, yeah. I wasn't good enough to, to work that into a joke. I wasn't good enough to make it funny. And I didn't have an understanding of, of what comedy was to actually put that into anything. So it it just came out in bursts as as I'm sure you can appreciate it just came out in weird ways and I did things that were that were odd and I behaved in an odd way and it wasn't until I actually spoke about it and actually recognized that it wasn't right that I actually got got a hold of it and was able to manage what I was doing. But that didn't come until years after, years after. So I reckon for about 
four, four or five years, I would be completely fine, completely fine, functioning, friendly, all, all of that stuff. But then I'd get some sort of stress, some sort of pressure put on me and I'd just crumble, I'd fall apart and I'd either react in a aggressive way and be quite flippant and, and damaging within my own relationships with, with peers, in some cases romantic relationships, I'd just shut them down, they'd fall apart or I would just shut down in a sense of I'd be unmotivated and unwilling to change what it was I wasn't a wasn't a problem solver so to speak and it wasn't until I was with my previous partner and she was very good very good at um dealing with me because I am a one I'm a wind-up merchant I wind people up constantly Danny and Louie will be able to tell you that in their podcasts, I wind people up for fun, I get bored, I just, yeah, that's what I like to do, um, and she was very good at keeping a lid on that, and actually appreciating what, what I'm like as a personality, but when I did have these problems, and I'd fall apart, she was very good at making me see that a problem-based solution is better than what I'm doing at the moment, and I feel like that gave me a nice set of of tools to to deal with certain problems and then getting back into the stand-up towards the end of our relationship and then after our relationship getting back into stand-up and being able to talk about the things that were bothering me and originally make them ridiculous or build a narrative based on that original concept was was doing me quite well and now being able to just write about them at face value and see where the funny side of it is has 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 helped. And I think comedy and, and being around people that I'm around at the moment is is really good and it's making me a lot more su- susceptible to addressing the issues that I've got regardless of whether they're serious or, or trivial. Mm. Okay, so... Uh... Oh, I was going to say. Um, so you spoke about how that escalated when you're away from home, mm-hmm. and obviously with a, 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 you know a vocation or a career or a job such as comedy and stand-up comedy. Yeah, you spend a hell of a lot of time away from home. Yeah, traveling. How do you deal with that? Um, well, I always know I'm going to go back home at some point in that evening or the early hours of the next day. So it's just feeling trapped that you, you, you struggled with knowing that you couldn't because you had to finish. Yeah, I couldn't uni. just go home. And obviously, you're, when you're at university, you're there for, for a minimum of two, three years, depending on the course you do or more if you decide to go further. I think that was an issue. Um, I moved into an environment initially that was quite a hostile one at times. It was quite negative. Um, I didn't necessarily fit into that to that group and it took me a long time to actually build friendships and peer groups while I was at university and I found that a struggle because I already had one 
and I wasn't with around them or with them as much as I could have been. And it was kind of before a, there was a big boom in social media towards the end of me being at university where WhatsApp started, Instagram was getting used a lot more. Um, you were able to use the group function on Facebook Messenger and stuff like that. That wasn't around at that point. Mm. So it was a case of if you wanted to talk to someone, you'd send them a text individually. There wasn't that constant uh, constant occurrence of feedback of feedback that you that you had. You know, my phone goes off all the time, whether it's it's me messaging Louie and Danny about comedy related stuff. I've got a, a really awesome group of mates at home that we that I message constantly. I've got a lovely group of friends that that I work with, and I've got those little pockets of of social circles that I just didn't have at that time, and it it didn't take my I, I didn't have anything to take my mind off the feeling that I had in my head. So all I did was keep thinking about it, and the more you think about it the more severe it actually seems in your head. It probably wasn't as serious as it as it was at the time. But in my head, it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating. And say my partner at the time would say something that was maybe a little bit close to the bone, I'd just say, all right, fuck this then. I'll, I'll let's, let's, let's break up. And we had so many stuff like so many arguments like that that I look back look back at now and think I just just wasn't ready to for that level of independence and I feel guilty like I, I think back to some of the things that I've said to people or behaved in certain ways and it, it I feel riddled with guilt but at the same time I've now got the the capacity to appreciate that I wasn't in a wasn't in a good place and I now know that I wouldn't behave in that way because I've I've got a better way of dealing with things. Not perfect. I still do things that are sketchy to say the least. Not like illegal, but <laughs> things that are, <laughs> things that you know you probably raise eyebrows at. But I'm, I'm no one gets hurt, and I'm not I'm not malicious or anything like that. Whereas I think at the time people were getting hurt. I probably was being a little bit malicious, not intentionally, but that's the way it probably would have come across. And I've certainly grown as a person throughout those years. Consequently, the years that I wasn't doing stand-up made me a better person. (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm back into it, I'm going to be horrible. So Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, great (laughs) great stuff. So are you two on good terms now? Uh, No, I I haven't spoken to... uh, since we broke up which was a couple of years ago now um not in a sense of i've got any negative feeling to, towards them as a person because honestly uh, they very much helped me grow as an individual so i've got a, a tremendous amount of respect for her and and what she's done for me and what she will go on to do but no, I mean it's, the situation just didn't lend itself to us being being civil because, well, she didn't the, live the near me. Yeah, I she, know. She didn't live near me for a start, so I was never going to bump into her. And 
because I didn't want the relationship to break down. I probably didn't want to keep hanging on to something that 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 wasn't there. So keeping in contact just just didn't seem like an appealing option to me. And it's through no negative feeling from me at all. The reason I ask is because you spoke about the level of guilt you experienced because of the way you behaved in that relationship. Yeah. And I just wondered what closure you'd need to overcome to, to overcome that guilt. Because guilt, I feel guilty about stuff I did at eight. So yeah, yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah. Like when you've and, tricked and someone up and then... Yeah, and they've forgotten about it. I was like, yeah. oh, well, what happens if he got like sepsis later on in his life and then died? Yeah. Or tetanus and never got an injection and died? You know? But they've, all, they've already forgotten about it. And especially if they're dead, they don't care. But, you know, it's. I just wondered what closure you would need to overcome that level of guilt that you experienced. So the last relationship I was in, I would say there's a reasonable amount of guilt to some of the ways I've behaved. But I'd, I think that that was the best relationship I was in in terms of how I felt within myself and how I treated another person and how I was with another person I feel a lot less guilt for that relationship than I have done previous maybe less serious relationships that I had in my late teens and early 20s um, but having I'd, I'd say I, I probably have a little bit um, but for me I at the time I couldn't understand the reasoning behind the breakup and I think now I do see the reasoning behind the breakup a lot more clearly that makes me feel a lot less guilty than I did originally and I don't have that shame of knowing it was my fault because I believe it was it was circumstances to a certain degree that that led to that and you are only in control of so much of of what happens in your life if you try and keep control of everything it leads to madness and i don't want to i don't want to go down that route of course yeah you've been there one of the things that happens in in relationship i had it in the early 20s and before that as well in the teens late teens was was that feeling of i'm the common denominator in this yeah I keep, I keep, I'm the one who keeps messing up yeah. in there. But when you really look into it and you really spend time thinking back on it, you you realise that actually no, they had they had bad bits about them as well. Yeah, so of course. Stuff that annoyed me too, and or weren't right in the relationship. But yeah, I mean, it, there's there's certain things like you just you just feel like you want to make amends. But if you're in a place that you can now write about it to share with strangers on stage, mm-hmm. then that already shows a level a level of um, stability. Mm-hmm. in that sense yeah and being able to recognise your own flaws is, is a good thing otherwise you've got nothing to to build on as, and grow as a person so yes I probably was the common denominator in, in all of those situations but the good thing about the most recent relationship I was in was that as I said I developed a tool set to actually solve more of the problems that I was facing rather than just shut down. And I looked at it, I dissected it, and just sort of realised the bits that I'd done wrong, realised the bits that perhaps 
were down to the situation and, and, and the situation alone and chalked it up to experience. And it was, you know, if, if I were to get into a, another long-term relationship, I think I'd be far more equipped to dealing with it. Not that I'm out looking for one. I'm, I'm not Don Mackey. Ladies, <laughs> you heard it here first. Erin <laughs> J was to get laid. No, no, not not like that. I mean, I've I've got Louis and Danny for, for that. Years so, are the same person. Great idea. Um, okay. Fuck, man, that's good. Uh, so now, when you're faced with similar situations that used to send you over the edge, of cause you to be destructive and to hurt other people, and obviously implode yourself. Mm-hmm. What techniques do you now use to prevent yourself from escalating in that sense? Uh, <laughs> Louis and Danny don't know this, and they're going to listen to this and absolutely hammer me for this. I meditate a little bit, um, which which I know which I know they're gonna hammer me for, and I know that a lot of my mates, I've, I mean, a lot of my friends are the sort of football-y, laddie type people, as is my dad, as are my brothers. And they'll hear that I do things like meditate, and they will absolutely tear me apart. But you know what? It doesn't bother me, because I'm at peace. So, um, um, yeah, namaste. No, well, can I just say on the back of that that Ryan Giggs used to do Pilates two or three times a day, yeah. and he managed to play football until he was in his 40s. Yeah, you, so, don't, you don't get a chest that hairy without being a bit strong mentally. So, if anything, I'm, I'm on to a winner. He's, he's at least one of the greatest, he's probably the greatest midfielder for Wales ever. Fantastic. Say, yeah. And one of the best Premiership players of all time as well so yeah and you know from 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 all accounts a nice bloke probably probably his brother would disagree but other than that he, I think he's a he's quite a lovely guy so kids do pilates and meditate yeah want to be footballers yeah I, I i tried yoga for a little bit as well at work we did um like a beginner's yoga type thing but that's not it's not me it's not Namaste. me yeah that's what they say isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, so because because you know, it's no secret, I've been on um, what's it, Rich Wilson's podcast and things like that, and spoke quite openly about mental health. Yeah. And the thing is, well, doing comedy and putting, we spoke about it a little bit earlier um, about about you know putting yourself out there and putting yeah. yourself literally on stage and and that and if it doesn't go well, an instant trigger for that sort of thing because it would have been a trigger before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you how do you deal with a bad gig afterwards? Um, <laughs> I'm either very quiet, and I don't. I just want. I just forget it, and and I don't want to think about it. Or I'm very honest, and I take into account what went wrong and how I can make it better in the future. It depends on why the gig went badly. If the gig went badly because of something I've done and there was an issue with the material or the delivery or whatever, the stage presence, then that's something that I can fix. That's something that I'm in control of. So I can I can do something about it. If it's down to audience, I can't change that. I, I can't I can't pick and choose who is in the audience and who isn't. That's that's ridiculous. So I just have to appreciate that on stage, as is in life, not everyone's going to take to me and what I do 
as well as I'd like them to. But you don't, you don't, you don't react in a really negative way and just go out there and start sort of distracting the audience. No, and there, I mean, I came close very recently. Uh, we did a gig uh, on Friday. I won't say where it was, but we did a gig on Friday, and I emceed it. Uh, we had the first two sections out of the way. I'd gone into the crowd a little bit, spoken to pretty much everyone in the audience established a relationship with them and between the second and third section a group of three males had walked in who had been drinking alcohol and when you are three males who have been spending the evening drinking alcohol you tend to behave in a certain way is what I'd say and they behaved in that certain way and they were very loud and shouting things while I was emceeing and I was due to bring Danny on and I'd said to Danny before I went up to the third section, we're a bit pushed for time. I'll do a five minutes just to get him back on board and I'll bring you on. I was speaking to those three men for 16 minutes because every time I put them down, they came back with something different. They'd, they'd shut up, so I'd put them down, they'd be quiet. And then I'd move into another bit just to get the crowd back up so that they're not thinking about the uncomfortableness that had just occurred. And then they'd pipe up again before I get the punchline in. And it was it was constant for 16 minutes. In the end, Danny was Danny was raring to go. He wanted to, to come straight on and, and and just do his thing and take the money and run. But um in the end, I actually had to make them promise to be quiet while the next act was on and I'll get off and I'll leave you alone and no one will speak to you for the evening if you are just respectful. And that's how I got round it. They weren't. They weren't. They were a bit more respectful once they realised that everyone else in the audience was, was frustrated with them and two of them did in fact leave halfway through the headliner. But... That was just, I, I came very close to losing it. At one point, I felt myself leaning forward and I felt the cadence and volume in my voice changing and being a bit more amplified. And I had to tone it down a little bit to, because if I'm just calling three blokes a dick, that's, it's not clever, is it? The audience aren't going to be on my side because I'm just starting an argument. And let's be honest, I mean, you've seen me. Any Anyone that's geeked with me knows what I look like. I've never won, never won a fight in my life. So why would I start now? I can confirm the first thing Aaron does when he gets to a venue is find out where the, the fire exit is. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And if they don't have one, I don't gig. Simple. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, they ought to. I think it's a law, isn't it? I don't think any, any place should ever have just the front door as a fire exit. No, and I mean, you know... Other than the, I think the more important thing about having a fire exit, other than me getting into a fight, is the risk of fire. I'd say. <laughs> so, I'd, well, I, I'd hope, I hope I hope they hadn't pushed you to a point that you're just ready to torch the place. No, no, uh, I'd I'd never do anything like that. Just to clarify, as a disclaimer, I don't send this off to the CPS. I don't send this off to the police to, to like, to, you don't have to, I don't lie, you don't have to lie blending. There's no I don't know. lie blending. I've seen some of the people you have on. I reckon they're keeping tabs, mate. You reckon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to mention any names because that would be like. Jake Steers. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so that that deep bit's just completely been ruined by a laugh. <laughs> um, that's cool. That's fine. So you're in a good place now, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm in a really good place. Yeah, um, I'm very lucky that I've got a very strong support network at home. Um, and as I said earlier, I've got lots of little clusters of groups. I've got comedians that I'm that I'm very close with, as you know. Um, I've got mates at home that that are just awesome and I've got even people that I work with that that I've established quite a strong relationship with that it just I think the biggest thing that I struggled with at university was that I felt on my own and I don't feel like that anymore and because of a lot of the you know mental health is being brought to the forefront of the media and social media it's it's a lot more acceptable to say I'm not having a very good day. I'd never say someone that ah oh, I'm I'd, I wouldn't classify myself as mentally ill. By the way, I'd just no, say no. that at times I struggle with my mood and my behaviour. Um, because one thing that I had an issue with, and I, I did try and seek help towards the end of university. I did a support group. Uh, I went to a support group that was ran by the university. It was very good. You know, they were very quick in, in actually getting me into it. But I listened to the group's problems and the things that they were talking about made me feel a little bit guilty because all I felt was being a little bit sad. And I thought mental health is such a spectrum. People were on a far different end of that spectrum than I was hence a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now is is very much self-help and 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 things like that and 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 building skills to deal with problems and stresses and pressures myself without the need of getting me mates involved and 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 getting professionals involved or anything like that because I don't want to be a burden I'd quite like to be self-sufficient with a lot of the things I do, hence the meditation. And happy in yourself is in is in when you're alone. Yeah, you you now feel happy to be alone, and not necessarily lonely, but alone. Yeah, yeah, and I'm very busy as well, so I'm more appreciative, I think, of the of the of the time I get to spend to just chill out on my own. When, when you're at university, let's be honest, what do you really do. You don't do much, do you, other than watch Jeremy Kyle and go out at silly o'clock in the in the Students evening. can't do that anymore. Can they? Can no, because someone topped themselves. Yeah. What, on Jeremy Kyle? Yeah, yeah. Not actually on it, but... Well, that's a good choice of, of words when we've yeah. been talking about mental health, Luke, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm allowed to do that because I've, I've got bipolar. Yeah, so exactly, I, yeah. It's fine. And I've got friends who have got bipolar, so I, it sort of qualifies <laughs> me to talk about yeah. it. <laughs> um, if, yeah. if you haven't got any mental yeah. health yeah. issues and you can't I'm, talk about it i'm not prejudiced one of my closest friends has mental health issues yeah that sort yeah. of thing okay <laughs> yeah all right it's not me by the was way was that jeremy kyle then that someone okay. <laughs> Does Does it, i don't know about that i don't know about it no it's not on anymore um it's uh basically someone came off it and then topped themselves like a couple of weeks after it um mm. yeah that and, exploit vulnerable people but then it? Well, I don't know if they do. I mean, they let Love Island continue after someone did themselves in. So. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, this is, this is 
of something that might interest you, Luke. Okay. I'd love to go on Love Island. Would you? I'd love it. Yeah? Yeah. I think I'd do all right as well. Which channel is it on? It's ITV2. Okay, yeah. Just Um, talk to Thames TV. Nine o'clock. And uh, I don't think necessarily... It's not a vanity thing. I don't think I'd be on there and be one of the muscular people that they have, like the action man types. But I do think having someone that is socially a little bit weird, weighs 10 stone, doesn't particularly take care of their body and can be quite abrupt and humorous to people that may not necessarily take that on board in that situation would be hilarious. And And do you think they'd be accommodating for your meditation? I think so. There's a garden. So (laughs) there's a pool. Yeah. All right. So... In the last podcast I had you, you were talking about how you'd done a few spots for like angel comedy and mm-hmm. people like that, and and your aim was to get a few more of those pro pro sort of open spots and middle spots. How's, yeah. how's that going? Uh, it's going. I mean, I've done. I have done a few more bigger nights and and more established rooms, but it's still very much what I'm aiming to to get done in 2020. Actually, get myself onto a bill at a club where people actually know what the club is, where the club is. Um, Be on a bill with people that are famous and and, and established comedians. And I am doing it more and more. I've been on a few pro nights that I've managed to impress either at semi-pro nights that they've closed or or their, their other nights if they run a string of them. So... I'd say I'm stepping towards that, but it's just, it's difficult, isn't it? If I want to get on at Backyard, it's just persistence, isn't it? If I want to get on at Top Secret, it's persistence. It's There's no other way around it. You have to be seen, and the only way to be seen is to be persistent and annoying and driven and... Yeah, I've just got to keep keep doing it, keep trying my best. And I probably don't gig as, as much as I should, which doesn't help the situation. But, you know, it's just life and I need to build towards it. Thanks so much for joining me, Aaron. Cheers, mate. Thank you for having me. So that was Aaron Jay. What a fantastic episode. He's a genuinely wonderful person. Go and check him out on social media and go and see him. All the information of how you can follow him, where you can see him are all in the show notes. But also go and check out Glass Eye Comedy as well. They do some fantastic nights in Suffolk and the, the, the trio are wonderful. They have some really big names and they're all very funny people themselves. Next week I'm joined by another one of their colleagues, Danny Mark. He's also a fantastic comedian too. So tune in next week for that. But for now, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. See you soon. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars' careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.